Good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is Josh Mandrill, and I am super thankful. Uh, Pastor Doug and the pastoral staff of this church give me opportunity to share this morning. A lot of people ask, so I'm going to share with you the obligatory family photo. We'll put it up on the screen here. So hopefully, there it is. So this is the picture that my wife just put as a Facebook profile picture with the twins, Sarah and Leah, but you all know that Facebook profile pictures are not real life. Here's real life. That was three hours prior to that photo being taken. So this morning, if my speech is a little slurred and my eyes are a little sunken in, it's not because I partied hard last night. It's because Sarah and Leah partied hard last night. And if you see a little kind of shaking um, or a little nervousness, it's probably partially nerves, partially the Holy Spirit, and lots and lots of coffee, which is what I like to call the trifecta. So... Um, this morning, I have a assistant or somebody who's going to help me. Anna Claire Pritchard is going to help do a little illustration. So I am completely left-brained. I have no visual spatial abilities at all. So I am going to, this morning, draw a self-portrait with this. So those are my eyes. I think that's going to be hair nose, mouth. That's me. You think that I did this for the purpose of an illustration. I'm really that terrible at painting and drawing. So Anna Claire has that part of her brain activated. And so for the next 20 minutes, she is going to turn that into something. Hopefully great. We haven't practiced this, so we'll see what happens. So she's going to work and we'll check back in. So this morning's scripture, this Sunday is known as Transfiguration Sunday. And so we're going to go through the scripture on the transfiguration in the book, the Gospel of Matthew. And the words are going to be on your screen. Matthew 17, 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What I find about this scripture is this is a miracle. Actually, this is probably one of the only miracles that happens to Jesus himself before the resurrection. And so miracles, right, they can't be explained. They define logic. 
but we like to explain them. So we read this scripture and we think, what would it really look like to have your face shine like the sun? And I'm thinking about this transfiguring, uh, transfiguration as a dermatologist, if I can market a transfiguration cream that makes you look 15 years younger, I could retire tomorrow. Just something, he just looked completely different. But it, it really can't be explained. But what I've learned is just because something can't be explained, it doesn't stop a bunch of preachers from trying to explain it. And so I, being the layperson I am, went to the commentaries to read about how people kind of interpreted this scripture. And many people say that this is where heaven met earth, the temporal met the eternal, where humanity met divinity, where Jesus truly who is all human, actually, and usually veiled himself from divinity, actually experienced it in the full. Well, they call that kenosis, apparently. Um, some people think this is a precursor to the resurrection. Some people say this, this transfiguration is a precursor to Jesus's second coming. Here's what I know. Jesus went up the mountain and had an experience, a miraculous experience that defies logic and he came back down differently. So the question we have us before, before us this morning is, does God still do the work of transformation? Now, granted, don't get me wrong, what God does in people's lives when he transforms us is not the same as a transfiguration where you know, we're glorified. And that, might ha that happens on the other side of heaven. But does he still, in his own miraculous way, transform us? And as I read scripture, I'd say, yes, he does still do that. He's still in that business. And not only is he still in that business, that's the business he specializes in, changing people, transforming people. And so the, the, the things that we can agree on in this scripture that most of these commentary authors agree on is one, Jesus took people with him. He took his best friends up there. Now, Jesus did a lot of things alone, but this was too important. People went with him and experienced this transfiguration. And the second thing I find interesting is Jesus himself, the humanity of Jesus, got himself on the mountain, but it was God, the Holy Spirit, in that place that did the transformation. And I think that might be instructive to us we, a lot of times, when God does something in our lives, we do have the duty of getting ourselves in the place for that to happen, but we don't do the transformation. Now, the place is not necessarily a geographical place or a geographical mountain because God transcends space and time. He's everywhere at all times. So we don't have to go to a certain place geographically, but a place in our hearts, a place in our spirits where we approach his throne and are there. When I read these scriptures, I see that um, a lot of times we struggle with doing that. We go to one extreme where we say, God, I need something new in my life. Let me do it. Scripture says we don't do it. The Holy Spirit does that in us. But we're tempted to go to the opposite extreme and say, well, God is the only one that can change me. He'll do it if he wants to, when he wants to, so I don't have any role in getting myself in that space. Here's how Jesus said it in, in the book of Matthew. He says this, ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. Our role. And when we get this right, God is constantly moving. It's, it's where we make space, where we truly empty ourselves and let Christ, the Holy Spirit, empty us so we can get ourselves in that place where we usually say, confess in our hearts, God, I can't do this. I am helpless. I mess everything up. The only thing, I need you. I need more of you. And we put ourselves in that location. Now, a lot of times that humility comes in mountaintops. You might think of the time when you felt like you experienced God the most. Maybe it was a church camp, a men's retreat, weekend of the cross, a great worship service where you really felt him and there was that mountaintop experience. What many of those have in common is we actually put ourselves in a space where we put the world out and we say, God, do what you want with me. And then he does because we're asking, seeking, knocking. But a lot of times for me, the mountain where Jesus works is not always really high points. It's actually a valley. It's actually a place of hurts or un misunderstanding. And maybe it's not that God is speaking more in my life in those times. Maybe it's that I'm listening more in those times. I truly realize that I don't have it all together. I know for me when it's when God reveals sin and I feel guilt and embarrassment and it feels like a weight is on me, but when I hand it to God and confess, that weight is lifted and I feel his presence and he does something in me, he transforms me. A lot of times it's in pain or suffering or tragedy. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I got my first girlfriend, and that was probably because I was a super big nerd and not many people wanted to be around me. But in some ways, this girl showed up and she wanted to be around me. And if you all will remember your first love, it is that thing that you feel like your soulmates, you feel like you will be with that person forever. Um, it's, it's, it changes you. I remember senior in high school, staying up till 11.30 midnight on school nights, just talking about God knows what, but you just talk on the phone because you feel so connected. And I will say that relationship was so special for me. I truly thought that was the person that God had for me until December 11th, 1998, when Kimmy was killed in the car wreck. And I remember that day vividly, and I remember yelling at God, being mad of God, thinking this person brought me so much happiness and true peace and joy that I thought was from you. And there's no way that that can happen again. There's no way I can get that back. Questioning whether I'll be, ever be the same again. And through a process, I remember that night crying in my grandma's arms. I remember Sunday, so her death happened on a Friday. On Sunday morning, I was, the, as a senior in high school, I was the narrator for our church cantata. We all were in the choir, had on robes, and after I did my last talk and the final song played, I went down to the altar and just bawled my eyes out. And then I looked up, and the entire church choir had left the loft and were surrounding me at the altar, truly being lo the love of God to me. And I can't pinpoint what it was that changed me, 
that brought me joy even more than I had before and peace than I ever had before. It was some scriptures. It was experience the words and love from other people. But I can tell you in a way that only God can do in his miraculous supernatural power, he changed me. He grew me through that experience. I told you that as I read these commentaries, a lot of things stuck out to me. One thing that really stuck out to me is the theologians writing these were obsessed with the mountain that this happened on. Some say Mount Tabor, some say Mount Hermon, some say Mount Moran, some say Mount Nebo. They're obsessed with it. Big paragraphs in these commentaries about where this happens. You know what I think? It doesn't matter where the mountain was. If it mattered the name of the mountain, don't you think either Matthew, Mark, or Luke would have put it in there somewhere? But they didn't. They named mountains other places, but not here. And to me, that's instructive because we don't worship the mountain. We worship the God who shows up on the mountain. We don't worship the place. We worship him. And so that speaks to me because sometimes I'm tempted when I have an experience with God to worship where that experience happens. We don't worship Weekend of the Cross. We don't worship uh, Walk to Emmaus or uh, a religious treat or that, that amazing moment that we felt God because we realize that it's God who did it and he can do it anywhere. And we want him to do it again in that place and he can, but we're actually seeking him. And when we seek him, when we seek his face, then we start experiencing him. We don't worship creation, we worship the creator. A lot of people right now know and seen on social media and seen on the national news about the revival that's happening at Asbury College in Kentucky. And it's, it's, it's amazing. God's doing what he did decades before and it's spreading like wildfire. And every account that I read about it points to kind of the same thing. The folks there aren't praying for revival. They want the revivaler. They're seeking his face. That's what they want. The folks there aren't praying and wanting a movement. God, give us a movement, give us a movement. They're praying for the mover. They're seeking him in that. And so what I find interesting is, is as, I, as, God's, as I've been praying about this, is that um, I realize that I am right now on a mountain. I've identified it, the thing that I'm going through, and maybe you have one. Wherever place you are right now is the mountain that God wants to meet you on. Whatever identity you've given it, what name you've put on it, whether it's, you know, I'm going through some bitterness or hurt or unforgiveness or success, loss, sin, tragedy, midlife crisis, we put a lot of names on our mountains. The name of the mountain doesn't matter. What matters is God meeting us in that place. The name of the matter doesn't matter, it's that God meets us in that place. You know what they call the mountain that Jesus was transfigured on now? It's called the mountain of transfiguration. Because when God shows up, the name of the mountain actually changes. He brings life out of death. He brings sight out of blindness. 
He brings calmness out of storms. Here's how the song, I guess it's Paul that says this. Therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the message of the cross. We actually die with Christ to be resurrected with Christ. And we can see this image of this transformation, this metamorphosis, even in the caterpillar that goes through a cocoon and then becomes a butterfly. A complete revolutionary change that God does. Thank God that he doesn't just kind of put makeup on the, on the caterpillar, put lipstick on the caterpillar. Like he doesn't just, I want to just tweak you a little bit. No, I want to transform you. I want to do something new in your life. So the question this morning I have for you, okay, transformation is a big word. Have you been transformed? And how do you know? Because some people might say, well, you're transformed if you cry at church. Well, I guess that could be a sign of it, but that's not necessarily always the sign of it. Or you know your mind's transformed if you have this aha moment. Oh, wow, there it is. What I've seen and experienced is God does transformation in the oddest ways to the oddest people in the oddest places. Sometimes it's a moment or an instant. Sometimes it's over time. But what is consistent about transformation in the scripture? I think for one, our heart is transformed when God shows up. Ezekiel says this, the prophet Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So we actually, you know that song we just sang, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's really saying, Jesus, I want your heart. I wanna feel what you feel. I want to experience the world like you experience. When we're transformed, our eyes are transformed. We actually see differently. We probably had needs all us around us, the people at our work and school, but when God transforms our, our eyes, we actually start seeing the brokenhearted, the lost, the downtrodden, the people that really need us. Our ears are transformed. The closer we get to God and the more he does in our lives, we actually start to hear him better. We start to hear his voice better and we can act on his voice better. Our mind is transformed. Scripture says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may be, by testing, you may discern what's the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When God penetrates our minds, we start to make decisions differently where we'll look back and say, you know, a couple years ago, I would have done this, but now I'm doing this. And it's literally, we're getting closer and closer and God's doing this transformation where our will becomes his will, where his will becomes our will. When we're transformed, our actions change. We start to do something different. It's not just head knowledge that we know more about God. It actually impacts what we do. A lot of you, myself included, were here a couple of weeks ago when Dr. Sandy Richter spoke. Amazing Old Testament theologian. Wealth of knowledge, and it was such a powerful weekend. But there's 200 people here. But honestly, if the whole goal of that was just to learn a bit more about the Old Testament, we missed it. That's not the goal of the Old Testament to have more head knowledge. The goal is to see God in the Old Testament, New Testament, know he's the same God today, see how he transforms and say, God, we need that. 
I want that. Do that within me. So I'll ask you again, have you been transformed? And you might say, yeah, I, I once was a caterpillar, now I'm a butterfly, I am different. Bigger question, are you different today, more different today than you were yesterday? Because that's the goal of transformation as well. It's not a one-stop process. It's a continual progressive process where we're constantly being molded and made by the creator. We call it sanctification, where the Holy Spirit says, I'm gonna take you farther. I'm gonna take you farther. I'm gonna move you even more. Because for me, when I get closer to God, I hear him more. And then he reveals something in me that still needs work. And then he does that work and transforms me. And then I feel his love and experience him even more. And I'm closer to him even more. And then he shows something else. And he molds and makes me. And then I feel closer. And then he transforms me even more. It's a continual process. Because scripture says his mercies are new every morning. He's constantly doing something different. When I see this, this continual growth, um, my experience is I can't approach Jesus and be the same. Every time I approach his presence, he does something. And he does that throughout scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, my Testament, your Testament. That's what he does. So now we're gonna check back in towards the end of this message. Are we close? Oh man. She probably, as a perfectionist, wants to tweak this even more, but it's time to reveal this product, okay? So she might still be painting as I turn it around. Looks much better. Awesome. Here's what I love about this, is not only, that was, my self-portrait turned into that, which is instructive because God doesn't just turn us into something random when he transforms us. He transforms us into the image of his son. He gives us his son's eyes, his son's ears, his son's heart, his son's mind. Every time like a potter with clay, we give our clay to the potter, he does something new in our lives. I want you to know that transformation isn't, the purpose of transformation is not just to be different or be tweaked or be a little nicer, or be a little smarter, love Jesus just a little bit more. Also, as we pray, God, I wanna be in the place where you can do something in my life, we also pray, God, put me in the place where I can be an instrument of transformation to others. The goal of this is for this to spread. The goal of this, so Jesus, remember he brought his friends along with him to experience him? This isn't to be experienced by ourselves. God doesn't just make us disciples. He makes us disciples so that we can be instruments to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. God uses us when he doesn't even have to, when we ask him to. And so, as, as, as he uses us, we look at this and a lot of times people, when they're praying, we are the answers to other people's prayers. We are not the ones that do the transformation, but God is the one that uses doctors and medicine and um, teachers 
and, and uses us to be those instruments to the world. As I was praying, I'm going to end, this is going to be less preaching or teaching or whatever I was doing. Something was really on my heart just as I was preparing this lesson. And as, as you all know, Trinity's going through a lot, some, you know, hard stuff, some, there's some anxiety, and we don't really know all that God's doing and maybe even be classified as a trial. And on the outside looking in, in the temporary list, how, how can anything good come out of trial? But remember, that's when God does his best work. That's when he shows up the most. That's where he brings restoration and healing and victory out of trials. And I believe, I'm optimistic that he's gonna do that. No matter what happens, that he's gonna do that. As I've prayed, I'll tell you the one thing that keeps me up at night besides twin newborns. The thing that keeps me up at night is not worrying about affiliation or disaffiliation, because God's got that. What I pray about, um, lose sleep over, is whether this church will be instruments of transformation to the world. Not just that we say, well, we got a couple of ministries that God's using, Know that everything we do, every ministry we do is bathed in the Holy Spirit and it's transforming. Where we truly are about relationships, accountable relationships with each other and relationships with God, a place where consistently believers come and they're constantly growing and transformed and consistently non-believers meet a savior for the first time a place where disciples are making disciples are making disciples. And it makes a good transformation of the world, makes a good mission statement, it really does, but not just that we do it in theory or we wanna do it, but we're actually doing it. Not doing the transformation, but that God is using us to be a part of that work in our community and in the world. Because what I know is the name on the mountain never mattered. The name on the door doesn't matter. The logo on the door doesn't matter. What matters, no matter what God does and what decisions come out of it, is that we're being transformed and God is using us in the transformation of this world. I wholeheartedly pray that that happens consistently this week, the next Sunday, the Sunday after, the Monday after when a group of students is meeting at Chick-fil-A and the Tuesday after at Starbucks and the Wednesday after when I get the call from the day, daycare teacher that says, you know, your son, there's a kid in class that was having a stomach ache and he put his hands on his head and prayed for the stomach ache to go away. And that's something that my son learned here not a, a change that just happens in these walls, but a change that happens on the outside of the walls because this community desperately, desperately, desperately needs this church to be an instrument of transformation. And I believe that's what God's calling us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're here <laughs> and we ask you to come. We wait for you. We know that it can happen in a moment, it can happen over time. It can happen quietly or it can be visible miracles. But growth and change only comes from you. 
for us as individuals and your church. So do a work in me, do a work in us, do a work in the world around us. Have your way. We want to be a part of it. God, we don't want to program you. We don't want to change you. We want you to change us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.